Hey friends, welcome to this week's installment of our Acts Plus Bible Study. This is a Bible study we've been doing. It's based on uh, one of the trimesters of our confirmation material that our confirmation students do, and our confirmation program is fantastic, if I do say so myself. So we wanted to share it with the adults. Um, it's the trimester three in um, the student's Bible year. So they get Old Testament Gospels and then Acts Plus, which grabs a couple Old Testament books, the book of Acts, and then the letters that are written by um, the people that we learn about in Acts. So I am re-recording the first portion of tonight. We tried going live from El Salvador with some travelers, which was super fun, but not very effective technology-wise. Um, I think I did manage to capture on video um, all of us doing our kind of second half, but I didn't think to record even the audio of the first half, so um, I'm just going to recreate it briefly now so that we can still share this with those of you who are listening from home. Um, so we started just by talking about um, catching up on where we were at. So we had learned about um, the day of Pentecost, which is in Acts 2, and we talk about, um, well, a little review. So when Jesus leaves after he's crucified, dies, um, is resurrected, is hanging out with his disciples for a little bit, and then he tells them, I'm going to leave, but he promises he's going to send what? The Holy Spirit to empower them and help them in the work that he's calling them to do. And then, who remembers what the physical signs were of the presence of that Spirit? The day of Pentecost, tongues of flame come down and wind. So fire and wind, two signs of the Spirit, comes out on all the people, they're all speaking in different languages, but can all understand each other. So that was Acts 2. And who remembers who stands up? Let's see if Kevin knows. Kevin's a pastor. Kevin, on Pente the story of Pentecost, after all the flames come down, this is Kevin. He's one of our El Salvador travelers, pastor at Atonement. Hello. So on the day of Pentecost, after all those flames come down, who is it who stands up and makes a speech and converts a bajillion people? Remember? Yeah. And says they're not what you think you are. That's like this the PG the story, story, right? Yeah, that's this the PG is where version. pastors love geeking out about yeah. this. So it's like these... the PG version. It's it's like Simon Peter, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is the <laughs> spot. <laughs> nice, work. nice work, nice yeah. work. So no, people are like, what are these guys drunk? Are <laughs> yeah. they drunk? And so Peter stands up and he goes, they're not drunk. I know they're not drunk because it's only nine o'clock <laughs> like in, in the, the morning, morning. Yeah. which is like hilarious. Thank yeah, you. Exactly. You've done. You've, you've passed your test. You may stay a pastor. All that. Yeah, they're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning, which is, you know, he clearly knows how to work a crowd. Like, Alcohol jokes always go over well, especially in Wisconsin. He would have fit in well. So Peter is the main character in the first chunk of the book of Acts. And let's review what we know about Peter. Now, if you were in church two weekends ago, you heard the story of the calling of the first disciples, and it's Simon Peter whose boat Jesus climbs into to preach um, and then and has him take him out and pulls in this amazing catch. Um, so that's our first introduction to Peter. Um, I think Peter's most famous for what he does the night before Jesus dies, which is denies knowing Jesus three times, and then the rooster crows. Um, but then it's incredible that this the same guy who denies him three times is the one who, do you remember what Jesus says to Peter? Um, I think this is after his resurrection. It says, Peter, you are the rock. You are the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. So just 
you know, kind of incredible and encouraging to us when we're not feeling our strongest. That that's who Jesus chooses to be the rock on which he builds his church. The other super um, typical Peter story that shows his personality is um, when Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples. And I just, I was so thinking of that story today. I was telling, Julie Hosley was here um, as we recorded the first version of it. And she is doing um, kind of a little educational session for people um, on kind of stretching and relaxation. Uh, and, and she doesn't know any Spanish and that stops her like not at all. And so what she does is she uses her hands and she touches people and she moves their bodies and, um, and shows them what, um, what they can do to kind of take care of themselves and help cope with the, just the, the stress and the grind, that, that, the toll that poverty takes on people's bodies that she sees and just watching her touch them and, and be face to face with them um, just reminds me of Jesus washing feet. To which Julie replied, but I did not touch anybody's feet. I did not touch anybody's feet. And she's correct. Um, but so what happens in this story is that Jesus tells all the disciples that he needs to wash their feet, this very um, um, service-oriented, intimate um, gesture of hospitality. And Peter's like, no, no, you, no you're no, you not going to wash my feet. Like, no, never. And um, to which Jesus says, if I can't wash your feet, then you can have no part with me. So then Peter does a 180 and is like, okay, then wash my entire body. So uh, just, that's just who Peter is. He's very, um, maybe brash would be the word, uh, very brash, um, very outspoken guy. And, and he's actually the character that we get almost the longest character arc for um, in, in all, at least all of the New Testament. So it, it's, it's interesting to watch his character develop over time. But so he gives this incredible sermon on the day of Pentecost and like 3,000 people convert. And so now these newly strengthened disciples are empowered to head out and teach and heal through the power of the Holy Spirit. They're sharing everything they have with each other, living in common, um, beautiful unity. And day by day, their numbers are growing. The, the beautiful unity is short-lived. Um, very, very soon, very early on, the early church faces uh, three three different um, zones of conflict. So the first zone of conflict is, um, remember there, there is no such thing as Christianity at this point, right? It's, it's all Judaism and there's just this, this little movement within Judaism of people, Jews who are following Jesus. So there is a lot of tension and conflict um, between traditional Jews um, who are like, what, what are you doing? This isn't Judaism. And those Jewish Christians who still wanted to be considered in the Jewish fold. Um, so that, that's an area of conflict um, and, and a place where you, there's accounts of Jewish authorities persecuting Jewish Christians. Then there's um, an internal clash between people following Jesus who are Jewish and people um, trying to come join the movement who, who have never been Jewish previously and, and debate on, on whether they need to follow Jewish law, whether they need to eat kosher, whether they need to be circumcised, um, observe Jewish festivals and holy days. Um, so it's just kind of a debate over the identity of these early Jewish Christians. Are we Jewish? Are we, are we something different? Um, what does that look like? Do we need to all practice this the same way? That's one of the main conflicts that we'll see throughout the book of Acts. And then, and then the third area of conflict is between... Christians and the Roman Empire. So they're all, all of this is happening within the Roman Empire, who was tolerant at best of Christians if, you know, they didn't cause a problem, if, if they paid their taxes. 
Um, and, and so that was not always an easy mesh because a lot of Jesus' teachings are very anti-empire. Anti um, and, and so that uh, was another area of conflict for sure. So a lot of that first half of the book of Acts is stories of persecution um, of these early followers being arrested, being harassed, being hauled before authorities, um, being stoned to death. And there have been some, some thought by some historians that these accounts of persecution may have been overblown by Christians. There's, um, the, there's not a lot of um, evidence, historical evidence outside of the Bible that attests to to the degree of persecution that we hear about in the book of Acts. But, but it, I mean, it seems like definitely it was, it was really tough and, and people were, um, were harassed and hurt and, and maybe even killed. And, and so it's just, it's interesting to think about what we make of this as modern day Christians, because for most of us, depending on where we live, if we're Christian, that, that is the dominant religion. That is kind of the, um, the cultural group with the most power um, and so that's just a very different place than the roots of where the church started and um, there also you know there are a couple a couple things that can be problematic with the way we as modern Christians talk about persecution and and I think what's troubling for me at least is when you hear people talking about feeling persecuted when when they're still like the main group with the power um, so, so I think one really helpful thing about reading the book of Acts is to remember what real persecution is, the difference between, you know, being stoned to death and, and, and being asked to compromise or make accommodations for people around you who are different than you. Those are very different. Those are not the same thing um, at all. And then the other takeaway that I was talking about um, with these guys and that, that Julie and Kim were talking about was, you know, just how we... As, as, as a majority power group, how we interact and treat the minority groups in our midst and just remembering like that was us, that was our roots. Um, we, we were that minority group and so to remember that in how we interact with others who are in that position now, now that we often are the ones who hold the power. Um, let's see, I, that might be it um, before we switch over to uh, part two, which I did think of recording in time, um, it's going to be all about Saul. So I'll just do a brief introduction to Saul. So um, we start meeting Saul in chapter nine of Acts, which you can go read if you haven't yet. Um, we meet him um, just um, as Stephen is being stoned. So he's the first martyr, Christian martyr, who prisoner dies for their cause. So that's when we meet Saul. And Saul is like the biggest, baddest guy on the block. He was born in Tarsus, which we found on our map. And I don't know where that went, so I'll let you find it for yourself. But he's from Tarsus, so he's a Roman citizen, um, which means that he's actually allowed to travel freely throughout the empire, which ends up being, um, first is very, why, why Jewish authorities recruit him to be kind of this religious bounty hunter, and then why he's so, um, useful to, to the foundation of Christianity. Um, he's Jewish, really well educated, studied in Jerusalem, 
Um, he's a very powerful Pharisee, so, so he's an expert in Jewish religious law. I mean, and he's part of the main group who's, who's challenging Jesus and the followers of Jesus. So, and and he's, a, he's a paid bounty hunter. So he's sent out to go out and find people who are followers of Jesus and haul them back in. Um, and uh, then he has this incredible uh, transformation um, uh, moment on the road to Damascus, which you are going to hear about shortly in our fabulous dramatic reading of Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. And here that comes. Cool. Okay. We are talking about Saul. So Saul is this paid bounty hunter. You, I'm ready. There we are. That's good. So Saul's this paid bounty hunter, and he's going out, and he so and he's going out, and he's tracking down um, Christians and hauling them in. Mm. And we found Tarsus on our map, which is awesome. And um, Saul has this incredible conversion experience, which we are going to dramatically reenact for you right now, <laughs> and it's going to be great. Kim, you didn't know about this, but now you're in it. So <laughs> congratulations. Um, would you like to be narrator or Saul? Um, you can be Saul. You can be okay. Saul. TJ, you're going to be typecast as booming, booming voice. voice. Booming voice of Jesus. So Julie, Boomer. Julie, you're the audience. Okay? okay. Ready? <clears throat> this is from the book of Acts, chapter 9. So, meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, followers of Jesus, he could bring them bound to Jerusalem. Okay, here comes Saul. In a, so come, yeah, come in. Here come, here she comes. Yep. Here she comes, holding her piece of paper. Nice. Way to go. Now, as Saul was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Julie, can you hit that light switch a couple times? Oh, for sure. A light from heaven flashed around him. Nice. Saul fell to the ground. Fall down. Yeah, there you go. Tremendous. Fall the other direction so they can see you. <laughs> Saul fell to the ground, and I lost my spot. Oh, and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, <laughs> why do you persecute me? That was a booming voice. Who are you? Lord, is that you? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Come on, boom. <laughs> Get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The traveling companion with Saul stood speechless because he had heard the voice but saw no one. Julie looked really speechless. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So he was led into Damascus to the house of Judas. So you can see nothing, but we're going to lead you, okay? Nice. Yep. Now, for three days... Saul was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him, Ananias. Here I am, Lord. Get up and go to the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At the moment he is praying. And he is in the vision of a man named Ananias. Me. More boomy voice. Yes, you. <laughs> You're doing great, TJ. In a vision, a man named Ananias came in and laid his hands on him so that he might regain 
his sight? Oh, I don't know. Lord, I've heard a lot of stuff about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints. I, and I hear how he has the authority from the high priest to arrest anyone who worships you. Go. <laughs> for, for I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. I myself will show you how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk over to you. Um, and I'm going to lay my hands on you very nervously and say... Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. So you can blink. It's like something fell off your eyes. And his sight was restored. So then Saul got up. So stand up. And then she's going to be baptized. So I'm going to take Julie's wine cup and pour it on, <laughs> pour it on Kim's head. Awesome. Thank you for lending us that, Julie. Um, let's see. Was baptized. And then you ate some food and you regained your strength. So show us how strong you are. Yep. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> so for several days, Saul was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, Jesus is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Isn't Saul the one who in Jerusalem was killing all who worshipped Jesus? Didn't he come here just for the purpose of arresting those people and taking them back? So Saul became more and more powerful, and he surprised all of the Jews who lived in Damascus by speaking of Jesus as the Messiah. So, meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria, had peace and was built up. They lived in awe and respect of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they increased in numbers. All right. Mm -hmm. Nice work, team. Well done. Nice light flipping and looking astonished, Julie. <laughs> um, so, total 180. Yeah. Total 180 mm -hmm. for him, right? Total 180. And, I don't know, what do we take away? What do we take away from the story, TJ? That I think... Um, Jesus has that power to turn somebody 180 degrees mm -hmm. and did so with Saul. Yeah, absolutely. Kim, thoughts to add? I think it's a really fascinating story. And I'm just ancient just to Paul. Hmm. It's just something, I don't know. I've always liked this story. Mm -hmm. And I also like where everyone is speaking the same languages. Yeah. 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 One thing that's been a stumbling block for some people with this story is um, the idea of a dramatic conversion, mm -hmm. and a lot of us don't have one. Like, Julie, as you think through your life, is there like a time when you were like, bam, the scales have fallen off my eyes, and now, now I'm a Christian? No. Kim? Really? And then I started okay. going to private Lutheran school. Mm -hmm. I just really got into reading my little story Bible. Yeah. Before that, I was kind of naughty. So <laughs> <laughs> I was getting in trouble. As naughty as first grade. Well, the <laughs> good news is that your naughtiness ended in second grade. <laughs> <laughs> TJ, did you have a conversion moment? No. Yeah. I had maybe conversion moments. Yeah. 
when were yours, Mo? Well, because I started in an, in an evangelical right. church, so yeah. you know I was at a, a youth group camp that I went to because like the popular cool kids went, and there was an altar call like with all all heads bowed and all eyes closed, raise your hand if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. And I think I raised my hand a couple times, didn't a couple times. Um, so definitely had moments, but I would always have like moments of faith and then moments of doubt. And so I was really worried for a long time of like, um, is this legitimate faith? And, and someone, someone just spoke really reassuringly to me and said, you know, like doubt is totally part of faith and just, um, Embrace just it. let it be, just embrace, embrace it all. It. And then, then I remember very undramatically sitting up about a year later, because for a long time, Christianity was like, it was like glasses that I would put on and look around and be like, oh, that's really interesting, and then kind of take them off. Hmm. And then and then one day I sat up and was like, oh, like, I don't, this has become who you are. This has become who I am. This is now an intrinsic part of me. Um, but it was very gradual. So for all of you, if anyone even can still see this, um, <laughs> If you have dramatic moments of conversion and transformation, that is incredible, and thanks be to God, and God can do that. Um, and if your faith is gradual mm -hmm. or up and down or roller coaster or loop-de-loops, God is with all of us, whatever that journey looks like. So thank you for joining us for our Acts Plus Bible study for the evening. We'll be back at it next Tuesday. And I don't have the topic in front of me, so I don't have any idea what it is, but it will be fantastic, and we hope to see you there. Good night, everyone. Good night. Bye now.